Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's October 21st. I'm Ann Althaus, your podcaster and also your blogger. If you read the blog, a lot of this podcast will be stuff you've already read because I'm reading the blog and expanding and digressing as I see fit. It's October 21st, and that means in two weeks, it will be October 4th, the morning after the election. I certainly hope we know who won the election then. I'm just hoping for a nice, decisive outcome and no civil unrest. Should I be hoping that Biden wins just because if Trump wins, there's more of a chance for civil unrest? I know a lot of people will be unhappy, whoever whoever wins. And um, I have a feeling there'll be more noticeably unhappy people if Trump wins. But maybe Trump will win. What do you think? Um, the blog starts off this morning with 10 signs Trump will win again. I'm reading a Trump surprise victory is in the offing. Here are the 10 tea leaves pointing to it. Just as in 2016, there are tea leaves, if you will, indicating that President Trump will win again. And that's by Tom Bel Del Beccaro or Beccaro at Fox News. And he's got 10 separate items, and they're pretty factual and concrete. It's not just a lot of uh, vague aspirations. I'll give you one to show you what they're like. One of the 10, this one is about Florida. Quote, in 2008, Democrats held nearly 700,000 Democrats held a nearly 700,000 voter registration advantage. So you get that in 2008. Democrats had 700,000 more voters registered for their party than Republicans. And Obama carried the state by 236,148 votes. By 2012, the advantage had slipped from 700,000 to 558,272. And Obama won in 2012 by 74,309 votes. So he lost, the, the Democratic Party lost less than 200,000 voters in their registration advantage, and their margin of victory was less than half of what it was before. Now, in 2016, the registration advantage for Democrats had slipped to 327,483. So again, in 2008, it was 700. In 2012, it was 558. And then in 2016, it was 327,000. So you can see it going down with each four-year period. And then in 2016, of course, Trump won Florida, and he carried the state by 112,991 votes, so almost 113,000. So the Democrats went from a, a 74,000 um, margin of victory to a 113,000 margin of defeat, and that was with the loss of uh, the registration advantage from 558,000 to 327,000. Okay, so what's the Democratic Party voter registration advantage now? It's down another 200,000 to just 
134,242, a historic low. So they're down another 200,000, and they already lost last time around. So that's a sign Trump wins Florida, and if Trump wins Florida, it's hard for the Democrats to win, depending on what goes on elsewhere. But if you go to that article, you'll see there are similar kinds of numerical things that Del Barcaro, Del Bacaro uh, discovered. So uh, if you're looking to see how Trump might win or you, because you want him to win or you want to get, in, get activated to try to cause him to lose, you might want to read that and take it seriously because uh, it's pretty factual. Okay, I move on to two questions of balance. One, does Amy Coney Barrett weigh as much as a duck? And two, is Facebook applying its anti-violence policy equally to conservatives and liberals? Regular readers know I am not a fan of the Babylon Bee website. If you don't know what that is, it's a, an onion-like concept, but uh, on the conservative side. I don't think it's original or sophisticated enough, but I very much want the big social media platforms to apply their various content-related policies with neutrality as to viewpoint. They ought to test any censorship of the right by asking whether the equivalent material, whether if the equivalent material were presented by the left, they'd do the same thing. I'm reading a Fox News article about Facebook's decision to censor a Babylon Bee piece titled, Senator Hirono demands that, asking whether the equivalent, whether, if the, sorry, I'm making a little bit of a correction. I'm reading a Fox News article about Facebook's decision to censor a Babylon Bee piece titled, Senator Hirono demands AC Amican Coney Barrett be weighed against a duck to see if she is a witch. The fictional quote from Hirono is, oh, she's a witch, all right, just look at her, just look at the way she's dressed and how she's so much prettier and smarter than us. She's in league with Beelzebub himself, I just know it, we must burn her. And in addition to being a senator, I'm also quite wise in the ways of science. Everyone knows witches burn because they're made of wood. I think I read that somewhere. Wood floats, and so do ducks. So logically, if Amy Coney Barrett weighs as much as this duck I found in the reflection pool outside, she is a witch and must be burned. Okay. Uh, that's the clever humor that the Babylon Bee came up with to mock Senator Hirono, who obviously opposes Amy Coney Barrett. And I said, the threat of burning and the verbal image of burning a human being, a specific famous human being, is violent. It's certainly not a true threat. It's certainly not a true threat because witch burning is a familiar trope in American discourse and because if somehow we're confused about whether literal witch burning is a possibility, we can be confident that Barrett weighs significantly more than a duck. Right, so she's in no danger, according to all of this, but there's still this picture of a specific real person, Amy Coney Barrett, and the idea of burning her. You know, you might just want 
nothing like that on your website. You might just say, if you want to criticize particular people, you have to do it without ideating violence. You can't picture this person burning or being bur burned by an irrational mob. That's not good. And you know, we do have some irrational mobs these days going about burning things and pulling down monuments, destroying things. There's a lot of destruction. And you might think, oh, well, it's just a big joke, but it's still an idea. And you really can't trust irrational people not to get inflamed by irrational ideas. Now, to uh, punish the speaker for the bad things that crazy irrational people might do, evil people, <laughs> is too much of a limit on freedom of speech. That is a problem. But my main concern here is that Facebook pick a policy, pick a level of rejection of violence and stick to it and not, not favor one political side over the other. Babylon Bee CEO Seth Dillon tweets, so after a manual review, Facebook says they stand by their decision to pull, this, pull down this article and demonetize our page. They say this article incites violence. It's literally a regurgitated joke from a Monty Python movie. In what universe does a fictional quote as part of an obvious joke constitute a genuine incitement to violence? How does context not come into play here? They're asking us to edit the article and not speak publicly about, the, about internal content reviews. Oops, did I just tweet this? And I said, I'm not impressed by the regurgitated Monty Python argument. Not everyone knows the movie. I saw it long ago, but didn't remember this part, which actually isn't a good reference point if the aim is to make Corona look stupid and wrong. And Because watch. And I put in the little clip of the scene from the Monty Python movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which I remember seeing when it came out like 50 years ago. Um, and some of the language in the quote attributed to Hirono uh, is from the movie, specifically the, the material about ducks being um, uh, weighing wood and ducks and floating and do you weigh as much as a duck? And a woman is accused by mob in the movie of being a witch and a man who's, I think, trying to save the woman uh, and trying to reason with the crowd reason with irration how do you reason with irrationality and so in the clip um i know people in the comments are arguing with me and telling me even though i watched the clip i don't understand it properly and yet they also expect everybody to already know the clip so well that they understand it even though apparently i didn't understand it properly according to them when i just watched it so this level of understanding that they're that the commenters seem to think everybody's got to have is uh, really foolish um, in any case, as I see it, the man who is attempting to save the woman but is facing the mob comes up with a ridiculous argument about ducks and wood and weighing the woman and so on. And the idea there would be that uh, she is not going to weigh as much as a duck. And so then that would be the test that she doesn't get burned. But in the movie, it ends by the woman turning out to weigh more than the duck. So... Um, Right, right, the duck is lighter than her. I think uh, so that means she's not a witch. She was supposed to be lighter or as light as a duck in order to be deemed to float and therefore not be the witch. Obviously, they're referring to medieval tests of who's a witch and, and whether you float. And the trial by water would be a situation where you're kind of 
doomed either way because the witch floats and uh, if you sink you're doomed and if you float you're a witch and then you're doomed for that as well so it seems like seems like an unfair test even even assuming there are witches Anyway, I said, uh, look at that clip. There you see the that the character who proposes the duck weight test is attempting to devise a method of convincing the mob that the woman is not a witch. So the bee lacks originality, cutting and pasting text from a movie script, and it isn't even very good at selecting what text to use. But Facebook doesn't have a policy against unoriginality, inapt quoting, and lame humor. Facebook teams with that stuff. The question is whether equivalent violent language with reference to a real person is censored the same way when it is posted by non-conservatives. I don't know the answer, but if Dylan wants to make the argu an argument that works on me, needs to point to similar things from the other side that Facebook has not targeted. Now, something I didn't write in the post, but I considered elongating it to say this, and I'll just say it in the podcast, is that Facebook is saying it incites violence. And so the argument is, but it's so absurd, it's, it's not to be taken seriously. First of all, there are no witches, and the proposed test is so ridiculous. And don't you know Monty Python? Because if you know that, you know we're just goofing on the old Monty Python that we like so much. Um, so where's the incitement? Everybody is uh, assumed to, of course, understand that she's not a witch, right? Is No one would actually be around today who would think she was a witch, so she's not in danger of being burned as a witch. But, and so you could say, and there's no direct incitement. Certainly it wouldn't be the kind of incitement that works in First Amendment law to justify um, the government's banning of speech. But Facebook is not the government. Facebook is setting its own policies. And I think what we're most concerned with here is that Facebook uh, treat the different political sides alike to set a standard and stick to it. And they don't have to interpret incitement the way it's interpreted in First Amendment law, this idea that there would be an imminent uh, trigger of violence, that the words are just hitting you in a way that you respond and you don't have... Um, you don't have time to think. There isn't even any human judgment involved. Um, Facebook could have a different idea of incitement. Facebook could just be worried that something that they host is going to cause a real person to get injured. I mean, I kind of think in these terms when I look at comments on, the, on my blog, once an individual person is named, any kind of violent ideation around that person I think is threatening to that person is something that I don't want to see on my site. And Facebook is trying to make a site that is hospitable to a certain sort of person. And ugly images of violence aimed at a real individual, I think uh, they could say no to that. We don't accept that. And um, the main problem I want Facebook to deal with is that it be the same with respect to different political positions and not that they, uh, and I, I kind of believe that they did rightly in their own view, uh, single this out because of the naming of a particular individual. I don't think there's uh, all that much interest in protecting Senator Hirono from ridicule, but they are showing her saying things that of course she didn't say. I don't think many readers would 
make the mistake of believing that um, Hirono said that. In fact, that's part of why I don't like the Babylon Bee. It's so, it's trying so hard to let you know that it's humor, that it has this over the top, oh, she's a witch, she's in league with Beelzebub himself. You know, it's a sledgehammer of humor. You know, ha no one could possibly believe that, hey, maybe Hirono did say that. Well, clearly they want you to know she didn't say that. This is a joke. This is a joke. You know, they're always nudging you in the ribs, elbowing you in the ribs. Hey, it's humor. Can't you get a joke? And so then when they're censored, after they've gone to such an effort to be exaggerated in uh, letting everybody, even the densest person in the room, know that this is humor, to then find themselves told that they're inciting violence like they actually want uh Amy Coney Barrett burned uh, is a uh, must be very disturbing. How how more clear could we possibly be that we mean this all as a joke? It's a joke. It's a joke. You know, it's a sh it will be a terrible shame if jokes have to be so damned obvious in order to be on these uh, social media websites. But you know. Facebook is a pretty innocuous place, I think. Uh, I mean, when I go to, I don't really like Facebook very much. I go in there and it's just so, the niceness and the uh, cuteness and the, um, you know, oh, aren't people wonderful? Aren't children cute? Don't dogs inspire love and all of that stuff. And oh, it's another person's birthday. I mean, you're, you're 70 years old and people are still telling you happy birthday. Every, every year, every year, every day, it's somebody's birthday. Oh, let's notice that. Um, anyway, that's Facebook. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty, you know, nice person friendly. And people don't want to see something ugly. And, and so this is, what, what were we talking about yesterday? We were talking about Instagram yesterday in that light. P they want to maintain an audience that feels safe in a certain type of environment. The big problem is just uh, to stay nonpartisan. They should stay nonpartisan, staunchly nonpartisan. That's the real goal. Anyway, now we see, speaking of bad language, Megyn Kelly calls Michael Savage an absolute douchebag. She tweets, I think I speak for, oh, pretty much everyone when I say, STFU, you absolute douchebag. And what did the absolute douchebag Michael Savage say? He said, we talked about Rush Limbaugh yesterday. We talked about his long monologue about his lung cancer condition, his struggle with stage four lung cancer. And uh, Michael Savage tweeted, Limbaugh's crying about his cancer on the air. Worst 15 minutes in radio history. Spilled a large coffee all over counter and floor. I promise my audience I will not drag you down with me. Best wishes, Rush, but stop and leave the stage with dignity. So that's what Megyn Kelly was reacting to. I thought Rush's uh, monologue was full of dignity and you know, just to die without saying a word, I don't think you need to do that to have dignity. I think speaking about how you view life philosophically and offering help to other people who are struggling with illness, I think that's fully dignified. I don't think he was crying about his cancer on the air. 
And I'm maybe, I don't know what's going on in Michael Savage's life. It's possible that he has cancer too. And it's just as bad. And he, he's facing death too. And when he says, and in this part is in capital letters, I promise my audience this, I will not drag you down with me. Maybe he has been struggling not to talk about his health. And he and, and and Rush got so much attention yesterday when he was so revealing. Michael Savage might have thought, hey, I could have done that, but I have been going out of my way not to mention any of this. I could do that too. So then that caused him to, you know, maybe scream out in his own pain, I will not drag you down with me, oh audience. I'll keep up the talk that's on message and not about me. I won't talk about myself, whatever my struggles are. My um, dedication is to doing the show in the same way and sound just as vigorous, just as good as ever. You know, maybe that's what Trump is doing with all of his rallies, even though he had COVID. Does he feel great? Or is he just acting like he does? Oh, I'm tip-top condition once again, doing great, flying to Erie, Pennsylvania, this and that. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what uh, Trump is doing. How many people are doing that? How many people are acting like they are not in pain, are not struggling with their own impending doom when they are. Maybe maybe Michael Savage is speaking for all of those, but I guess he got a, uh, a cold splash of water in the face over that when Megyn Kelly called him an absolute douchebag and purported to speak for, oh, pretty much everyone. <laughs> Michael Savage, what a mistake. Not as much of a mistake as the Tubin mistake, so it was a day in which one man's mistake was so big. Anyway, I was looking yesterday, after I'd stopped blogging, I was sitting around reading on my iPad, and I went to the Washington Post, and I saw something that I knew I wanted to make a screenshot of when I got up in the morning. I got up at like 3.30 this morning, so I had this waiting for me that I knew I wanted to blog about. It's on the front page of the Washington Post, Going Out Guide, Diner in Chief, How the Bidens Might Eat and Entertain in and Out of the White House. The Bidens could bring possible, uh, the Bidens could bring positive energy to the D.C. dining scene if they take the White House, says one restaurateur. And then the illustration, the photograph shows um, Biden reaching out with anticipation to grab a soft serve chocolate ice cream cone. So Biden likes ice cream. Uh, the, what might the if if Biden wins, what might he eat? How might he eat? How the so I titled this post: How the Washington Post is keeping up with the news about Joe Biden. And I said this. This is on the front page, and I show that screenshot. From the article, we learn that Jill Biden prioritizes a nicely set table, and that requires candles. The Biden family likes pasta and chicken pot pie. And the dinner is, get this, a tradition in the Biden family. Moreover, to splurge, Jill likes a martini and french fries while Joe, who doesn't drink, famously devours ice cream cones. His ice cream obsession, we're told, makes him relatable. Uh, You know, this is such mindless junk. I mean, 
Ice cream is one of the, maybe the most popular food in the world. People like ice cream. It doesn't make you interesting or special or uh, I can warm up to this guy because he likes ice cream. Pretty much, it would be interesting if he didn't like ice cream, let's just say that. As for a martini and french fries, that's vaguely interesting because uh, that does sound like a good combination. Let's have martini and french fries at the Jill Biden restaurant. <laughs> anyway, their pantry, we're told, is stocked with staples familiar to shoppers of suburban grocery stores, including peanut butter and grape jelly, sliced deli cheese, eggs, and Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And I said, mm, you might want to put some of that stuff in the refrigerator, ice cream in the freezer. I guess they weren't expecting anyone to actually read this bilge pantry indeed. Oh, and guess what? In the Biden family, they like apples and red grapes and low-fat yogurt. Jill does all the cooking. She enjoys it, especially with her family around, music on, and a glass of wine by the stove. They got, they got Jill drinking a lot in this article, martini and wine while she's cooking. Seem to be layers and layers of alcohol, even as they're saying that Biden, Biden doesn't drink at all. Did, did Biden used to drink? Did he have a drinking problem? I think uh, he said uh, he's had enough problems with alcohol in his family, so he doesn't drink. And yet here we see uh, Jill portrayed as drinking, so I don't know what all that means, but... Um, <sighs> You know, food is interesting, yeah. Why not relax and read an article about what kind of food some family eats, even if it's just the staples familiar to shoppers of suburban grocery stores. Don't They don't have peanut butter and jelly and eggs and cheese and Haagen-Dazs ice cream in the um, urban shopping stores? It, it has to be sort of disrespected as suburban. <laughs> it's suburban, but, uh, you know... Those things, I think everybody eats those things. People eat Haagen-Dazs and uh, sliced deli cheese and eggs in the city. I remember when I first had Haagen-Dazs, I believe it was 1973, and, um, and it, was, uh, it was in New York City. I remember where, where it was. It was at a uh, restaurant called Home on the corner of 91st Street and 1st Avenue. First Avenue. I lived on 91st Street between First Avenue and York, York Avenue. And there was a place on the corner, maybe it's still there, called Home. And that was where, you know, it first even heard of Haagen-Dazs, and it was portrayed as just the best ice cream in the world. So that was, uh, that was when I first encountered it. Anyway, uh, it wasn't suburban. It was perfectly urban. Haagen-Dazs. Huh. Anyway, well, who cares what they eat? Who cares what they will eat? Uh, how they will dine? I guess it's part of this dream of getting to some normal life again. If only COVID would also go away. And then if Jill and uh, Joe could take over the White House, then they could have dinner parties again. And we could feel normal again. You know, we're being, normality is being withheld from us. Maybe what, will we ever get it back? Uh, you know, if you really just want to eat ice cream, you don't have to wait two weeks. You don't have to wait three months. You can just get out that pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream and go right ahead and eat it. And uh, maybe maybe a nice big glass of whiskey would go well with that. I think martini with the French fries, but I don't think martini with ice cream is good. Go ahead and have your uh, a, t a nice uh, 
nice glass of, uh, I would say, scotch, a smoky scotch, and then, um, you know, uh, maybe the, uh, the um, my favorite, uh, Haagen-Dazs, almond, uh, the, those chocolate-covered almonds, Swiss, Swiss chocolate almond, whatever it's called. Anyway, I, I'll recommend that. But, but see, I'm getting distracted. It, it actually is comfy and uh, pleasing to start thinking about comfort foods comfort foods and a comfort president. Would Biden be a comfort president? Would Jill be a comfort first lady? So warm compared to Melania. Is she? Is she really? Well, I'd be happy to eat, drink martinis and eat French fries with her. Uh, sounds fine. I'll eat all the ice cream uh, that they want to serve, probably. I like peanut butter, but uh, but I don't think that's the basis of your vote. I think you should try to think a little more deeply about who should be president. And, you know, Trump likes his ice cream, too, and he's also a teetotaler. And uh, I don't know about Melania. Does she eat French fries? Does she drink martini uh, martinis and eat French fries? I don't know. I don't know. I would uh, feel about the same about her, whether she did or she didn't. I think I would feel just about exactly the same. Anyway, to be fair to the Washington Post, there are two other Biden-related items on the front page. One, Trump and Biden gird for the final debate of a bitter campaign. Yeah, tomorrow's the final debate. That'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. It's a big chance for, well, for either of them to maybe increase their uh, reputation, increase their value in our eyes, or also to make some absurd blunder or just to make us feel uh, disgusted by them. I'm, I'm disgusted by both of them, more or less. And, you know, I'm not into loving politicians, so I don't, I don't get too in love with them, and so I also don't hate them so much. But, but somebody needs to handle the job. That's all I'll say about that. But anyway, for this uh, WAPO article, Trump and Biden gird for the final debate of a bitter campaign, scroll halfway down and you'll find this, quote, Trump wants and plans to bring up Hunter Biden during the debate. Biden's advisors, for their part, see little to be gained by engaging publicly in the details of Hunter Biden's alleged emails and texts beyond what they have already said, according to people with knowledge of their thinking. These people, who spoke on conditions of anonymity to more candidly describe strategy, said there is no reason to give credibility to a report that is sourced in part to close allies of Trump and has prompted considerable public skepticism. The Washington Post has not independently verified the contents of the report, but ignoring the matter altogether is not an option either, they said, leaving some uncertainty about how Biden will address it on Thursday night. Biden did show a flash of anger when he was asked about the subject last week. I have no response. It's another smear campaign right up your alley, he told a CBS news correspondent who asked about the New York Post's reporting. The tensions surrounding the issue were evident Tuesday. Biden's spokesman, Andrew Bates, sent a preemptive warning shot at Trump, who has appeared eager to bring up Biden's son. He invests in these tainted smears, Bates said, because he knows his presidency is a weak, pathetic failure. Substance aside, Biden should show that he can stand up to Trump in the debate, 
said former Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell, a longtime Biden ally who has been raising money for his campaign. He should push back a little bit, not a lot, a little bit, so he doesn't look weak, Rendell said. They've been peddling this thing that he's too weak to be president. He's got to smack back. <laughs> okay, so I think tr Biden is really practicing a way to come back at Trump for talking about Hunter Biden, but it will be something that's short and he'll stick to it by rote and he'll repeat it every time he has to and basically show outrage that it's even being brought up at all. So he'll have a quick remark and an attitude, which I think will just be outrage. It's a smear. And then to turn it back on Trump by saying, you're bringing this up because you're such a failure. That's what this election is really about. What a failure you are, Donald Trump. And you're bringing up my son. Uh, maybe he'll be sympathetic about his uh, son by saying, make, making it show how, how much he has suffered, how much he has hurt by having a son with drug problems, having another son that's died, and then having a son with uh, drug problems. We'll see. We can get back to this in a couple of days. And then the second article on the front page of the Washington Post that mentions Biden is FBI says it has nothing to add to Ratcliffe's remarks about Hunter Biden and Russian disinformation. And here's the quote. Appearing Monday on Fox Business Channel, Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe said, there's no intelligence that supports the idea that the purported Hunter Biden laptop and the emails on it are part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Tuesday's carefully worded letter from FBI Assistant Director Jill C. Tyson to Senator Ron Johnson, chairman of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, states, regarding the subject of your letter, we have nothing to add at this time to the October 19th public statement by the Director of National Intelligence about the available actionable intelligence. If actionable intelligence is developed, the FBI in consultation with the Intelligence Committee will evaluate the need to provide defensive briefings to you and the committee pursuant to the established notification framework. The letter notes that in keeping with longstanding Justice Department policy, the FBI can neither confirm nor deny the existence of any ongoing investigation of persons or entities under investigation, including to members of Congress. So the main thing that stands then is what the Director of National Intelligence, John Rat Ratcliffe, said, which is that there's no intelligence that supports the idea that the emails are part of a Russian disinformation campaign. So that Russian disinformation campaign angle is something the Democrats are using. So I see that, according to NPR, there are, quote, two new peer-reviewed studies showing a sharp drop in mortality among hospitalized COVID-19 patients. The drop is seen in all groups, including older patients and those with underlying conditions, suggesting that physicians are getting better at helping patients survive their illness. Patients in the study had a 25.6% chance of dying at the start of the pandemic. Now they have a 7.6 chance. Doctors around the country say they're doing lots of things differently in the fight against COVID-19 and that treatment 
and that treatment is improving. Doctors have gotten better at quickly recognizing when COVID-19 patients are at risk of experiencing blood clots or debilitating cytokine storms where the body's immune system turns on itself. So that's great news. You know, it's hard to notice the great news these days because there's so much concentration on the election and um, so, so many attacks on how bad uh, the, the coronavirus, the fight against the virus has been. So um, it, it's nice to, nice to read this. Boy, I mean, don't people want optimistic news? I know Trump keeps trying to get optimistic news out. It's kind of awful that the Democrats feel like, well, we better keep the news depressing and dark and uh, scary because that will help our cause. I hate all the partisanship. When, when they put uh, the success of their cause ahead of the peace of mind of, of just normal people who are suffering a lot with the lockdown really makes me, makes me feel bad about them. I mean... It's to Trump's benefit that saying that things are going well um, helps his side, and he's saying things are going well. If the tables were turned, he would probably be saying terrible things about how a Democratic president was treating the coronavirus. So that's just how it is. And of course, then Trump gets torn down for everything optimistic that he says, as if he's just a big liar or he doesn't believe in science. I'm sick of that all. Anyway, I have a next post went up at 922, is called Small Hole Repair. I needed to buy some 3M High Strength Small Hole Repair, and I got, uh, I'm fixing some walls, I'm doing some painting around the house. Uh, I, I don't know if you knew this, but a few uh, months ago, we I finally had some wall air conditioners taken out. I have central air conditioning in the house, but it's an old house, and there were three places in the house where there were built-in air conditioners sticking through the wall. So, and, and, you know, they're kind of an eyesore, even though we weren't using them. I finally got them out, and then that left a big hole in the wall, and that needed to be patched on both sides and filled in. And we're just at the final stage of finishing the interior wall. It's, it's been patched up, but, you know, you have to do some sanding and patching and, yeah, getting close to the end of that, but I needed to buy some 3M high strength small hole repair, and I got sidetracked into reading the question and answer section at Amazon. This is the most upvoted exchange. Question, how many calories does this have? I'm looking for an alternative to cream cheese. Answer, one tablespoon of 3M Patch Plus has about 30 calories. This is slightly less than one tablespoon of whipped cream cheese, which has about 35 calories. The textures are very similar, and it makes a great substitute, though there is slight, a slight grittiness from the nanotechnology. This nanotechnology, a secret ingredient not listed on 3M's label, is claimed by competitor company Red Devil to be little balls of glass. While glass itself is not toxic, it can create a mild constipation, as you might have experienced when eating mud pies or sand cookies. And I said it's always nice to stumble into a backwater of weird Amazon. I like to find the, the crazy, uh, people ask crazy questions and uh, a lot of people like to give crazy answers. And so I like the, the unserious, the, the found comedy. I mean, it's intentional comedy, but you have to find it for yourself. 
when you're poking around at Amazon and sometimes you're doing something just completely utilitarian, like thinking about patching the nail holes you've put in your wall and you, and you run into that sort of thing. How many calories does this have? Now, think of all the things we don't ask how many calories about. Anyway, now I think I have uh, two more posts. And the first one is uh, quoting Charlemagne Lagarde, who says he's voting for Biden because of Kamala Harris. And he's quoted from uh, Charlemagne Lagarde, I understand why black voters are drawn to Trump. And he said, when it comes to black people, you see, who maybe are showing support for Trump, I think it's because Trump is actually talking to, uh, okay, I'm on the uh, podcast. I think it's because Trump is actually talking to young black male voters. He's directing ads toward them. They are a group that never get courted. Black people don't get courted either as a whole. But that old democratic regime speaks to old black men and they think everybody else in the black community and black families are gonna fall in line. Trump is targeting young black males in promos and marketing. It works. See, that was interesting. Even though Charlemagne the God is voting for Biden, not voting for Trump, he had a little something to say about why some black people are showing some support for Trump. Trump is obviously trying to win over black voters, and Charlemagne the God is saying particularly young black men and that um, the old democratic regime speaks to old black men. And they think everybody else in the black community and black families are going to fall in line. And maybe falling in line isn't something that the uh, younger folks uh, want to do. And by the way, it was on the Charlemagne the God's uh, show that Biden uttered that famous line, well, I'll tell you what, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. So some, uh, that was Biden's... Uh, joshing with Charlemagne the God, and it, it didn't go over very well. Oh, there's my unknown caller. Okay. Having a lot of interruptions today. I never answer the phone when it's an un unknown caller. Now, I think maybe pollsters are trying to call me. Pollsters are people that are trying to encourage me to vote. I get so many calls from numbers I don't know, and I never answer them. I never answer. If I don't know you're calling or see that I know who you are, uh, I'm not going to answer the phone. So even if you did have my phone number, don't think you could call me on. You can't just call me on the phone. You can't just call somebody on the phone. Now, how can the poll, it, am I the only, I, I don't know how many people think like I do, it's, but um, I don't have a hard line. That's my cell phone. And I don't answer it if I don't know who it is. And if I thought it was a pollster, I wouldn't answer it. So how can the polls be accurate? Aren't, aren't there a lot of people like me who just don't answer the phone? I don't answer the phone. What do, what do we know about those polls? Uh, if, if that's another thing about uh, Trump possibly winning, people think he won't win because they're looking at polls, but uh, polls, I think they're getting less and less trustworthy all the time because more and more people have gotten rid of their hard line and they only have a cell phone. But uh, and maybe with a cell phone, you're just much less likely to answer it routinely. Or do some people just answer all the time because they've always got the thing with them and they like getting phone calls? I don't like getting phone calls. Do you? If you if it's important, they'll leave a voicemail. Can still get in touch. Anyway, there's one more post, and this one up at 10.01 a.m. this morning. 
What if a woman had been caught, like Jeffrey Tubin, masturbating on camera during a Zoom business call? This is my second burning a witch at the stake post of the day, and I did not go looking for more witch-burning material. It fell on me in the normal course of blogging. Okay, so on the topic of Jeffrey Tubin and what if it was a woman, the, the idea of witch-burning comes up again. And it's just by chance that I ran into two things in my, using my normal methods that were about witch burning. Sometimes when I'm in that situation, I then, uh, especially if I've got two things on the same topic, I might then do a search and see what else is going on. Where, where else has witch burning been mentioned this morning in the news? You know, I will just like type in witch, witch burning, and then I'll restrict it by, um, by time. So past 24 hours, what have they said about uh, witch burning? Maybe I'll restrict that to the news. And uh, the top thing is that Babylon B problem. Babylon B, Babylon B, um, LA witches. There's some something in guitar world. There's a group called LA Witch. Maybe burning comes up. Uh, something about uh, mm, not seeing anything particularly good. No, just little entertainment things. So let me get back to this uh, Tubin-related material. I'm reading Rose McGowan slams Jeffrey Tubin def Tubin defenders amid hashtag MeTubin scandal, and that's in the New York Post. But it's just quoting tweets from Rose McGowan, and she says, "Can you all imagine if a conservative woman was caught masturbating on an?" Zoom meeting like hashtag MeTubin, if it had been a liberal woman, if it had been a woman of color. The MeToo activist wrote Tuesday on Twitter, responding to another Twitter user, she mused, do you think there'd be liberal intellectuals rising to defend her? She'd be burned at the stake. And I said, really? I think if a woman mishandling her computer exposed herself accidentally, there would be tremendous sympathy and an immediate understanding that it would not be talked about, about like uh, what you'd do if you walked in on someone using the toilet. You just shut the door and you act like it didn't happen. And you feel bad that you saw her. You feel bad for her that she was seen. And you just try to cancel it out of your head as the best solution. I think that's what you would do. And by the way, I think that's what probably a lot of people on that New Yorker phone call would have been willing to do for Jeffrey Tubin. They didn't all turn on him. Just two people, I think it was two, and they did not want to be named. They went to the press with it. So why wouldn't you just go to the New Yorker authorities and try to handle it internally and be a little sympathetic and discreet about it? Why did you have to make that national news? Uh, do they hate Tubin for some other reason? I mean, maybe there's more to it, and there's more of an idea that there's some kind of sexual harassment going on. Um, if the, I said if the circumstances indicated that this woman in the hypothetical was intentionally exhibiting herself, and could that have been the case with Tubin? Then I think people would regard her as having a very serious mental problem and would close ranks around her and try to protect and help her. In either case, accidental or intentional, I don't think a woman would have been as badly treated as Tubin, who has been ruthlessly ridiculed and humiliated. So uh, even burning at the stake as an inflammatory uh, metaphor, you know, she'd be ruined. Well, I mean, if we're talking about accidentally, you know, you move the 
you go to close your laptop and it causes what was the camera that had been pointed at your face to briefly be pointed at your lower body and people can see that you're, um, you know, that you're naked there um, or that you're touching yourself there, then that's a, a huge problem. It's very embarrassing. But I think, I, as I said in yesterday's uh, podcast, I think that the normal human response to that is to feel uh, sorry for the person who's embarrassed himself. Now, it's different if you think the person is engaged in some kind of sexual harassment, you know, similar to what Louis C.K. has been accused of, that because he's a man with power, that he is able to keep upping the uh, transgression and get away with it. No one will say anything. Everyone will act like, oh, whoops, he just accidentally did it when he's really doing it to try to uh, intimidate or impose on people and to just show what a big shot he is because he can do it and get away with it. It, At some point, you might get to the breaking point and uh, go to the press with it. I think there were some things with Matt Lauer that were like that. So I think a certain type of powerful man might do some things in that category. And if the people who witness it uh, are thinking about him that way, that might motivate them to go to the press and to get him uh, humiliated and ridiculed the way whoever it was that reported on Tubin uh, did. But I think if it was a woman, she would be handled more sympathetically. Uh, She might be more likely to be considered crazy as opposed to a jerk who is um, who is a, a, an example of male supremacy and male dominance in the workplace, um, depending on the woman's uh, stature. But this idea that if it was a woman, no one would defend her. I think if it was a woman, that she would be defended. Now that that still could be considered discrimination against woman, women. Why are you protecting her? This idea that you have to care for her and protect her, that she needs help you know, that kind of fits into a larger stereotype in which women are are weak or less able to fend for themselves and in need of protection. I think if you have that stereotype about women, you might not be as likely to give them power, give them responsibility. So it's a stereotype that could hurt women. So, But I think the idea of we want to destroy the woman, I think that's a kind of hatred of women that is less a less common form of discrimination than the discrimination that takes the form of simply overprotecting her and thinking that she needs help.